The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads ensure you can take on any adventure. Available H-Track all-wheel drives so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. Whether you're tailgating out in the dirt lot, Carter Finley, shout out Carter Finley, or whether you're whitewater rafting, taking the entire family on an adventurous trip, maybe you're out camping at Mount Rogers, I used to go as a kid, wish my parents had a Hyundai Santa Fe, the Hyundai Santa Fe is perfect for your family outing, learn more about the all new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com, call 562-314-4603 for complete details. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Pick 6 Podcast, CBS Sports Daily NFL Podcast. I'm Will Brinson. I'm your host. It's Monday, August 17th. Football is around the corner, and we are diving in with what we are affectionately calling, uh, well, we'll call it analytic week, but we sort of call it nerd week. And we mean that in a non-pejorative sense because I'm a nerd. What Ryan Wilson's a nerd. John Breach is a nerd, but tries to play it off. And, of course, Aaron Schatz, uh, one of the the OG football nerds, uh, football outsiders, uh, analytics community joining us. I think you've done this every year for the past, like maybe we missed it last year. I can't remember. We missed the Super Bowl. Um, what's going on, man? How you doing? I'm doing about the same as everybody else right now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I think that's kind of the most interesting thing I think about the football outsiders almanac, which came out and you should buy it. You can, we'll have a link for it either in the description or I'll tweet it out. Um, you can see the hard copy there. You can get a PDF version if you're into, into that. The, I think, so first of all, for me, the, the FO Almanac is one of those tent, po- tent pole things in the off season. Like when I, when we, when I started diving that, it almost, it's like, okay, maybe football really is coming back because it hasn't necessarily felt that way throughout the entire duration of this pandemic. How different was it producing a book in a pandemic and without the assistance of a full blown off season? What's shocking was how not different it was. We got very lucky in the football world that this hit during our off season. Yes. So we were able to go on with our lives as normal. We had free agency. We had the draft. Uh, obviously, OTAs were different. And there are some places where OTAs help give you insight into who's going to be in a starting lineup for a team. Uh, and also for the fantasy projections, right? One of the things in the book is over 300 fantasy football projections. And OTAs certainly give you some insight into how players are going to be used that we don't have this year. Uh, but for the most part, the book process was the same as it usually is. It's now that things feel weird with, uh, you know, we just missed the first weekend of preseason games that would have been played this last weekend. The fact that the college football two conferences at least have shut down of the major conferences. I mean, we've got a whole section in here. Unfortunately, previews of college football season that won't happen. Mm. So it's funny, this offseason for me, Aaron, you probably don't know this, but Brinson takes five or six holidays over the summer. So 
me and Breach will fill in for him. But part of this offseason for me has been sort of my stroll down memory lane. I talked to uh, talked to Michael David Smith, who we both know from literally two decades ago. Uh, Aaron was the first person to give me a paying job. Oh, outsiders. By the way, not to interrupt you, but that's sort of what I do. Yeah. Um, we should point out that we discovered through the, the, like while we were telling stories a few weeks ago, what was it? That, uh, Ryan remembered that he wrote a blurb mocking a report from Adam Schefter at NFL Network while working for Football Outsiders in like the little new, you know, the news section. He was like, yeah, blog post, yeah. yeah, like they're going to take Mario Williams first over Reggie Bush. That's ridiculous. But OK, Adam. And then Schefter emailed, <laughs> it. Schefter emailed him was like, and like after they took Mario was like, see, sucker. <laughs> no, no, before. So, yeah, I don't oh, know okay. if I ever told you this story, Aaron. It was 2006 before that draft. And I just because I used to write the, the blogs two or three a day. Um, you know, three, four sentences. It wasn't much. I said, there's no way that the Texans are taking Mario Williams or Reggie Bush. I got an email to my Yahoo account from Adam Schefter, who was at the NFL network at the time. And I'm sure he sends very few emails now to random bloggers who call him out <laughs> and said, yeah, uh, just wait and see. He was very polite about it. I couldn't find the email. He was right. He was very right. And uh, uh, I don't remember that at all, but I have a terrible memory for things, but that's no, great. Now we- I'm going to go back and look for that. Oh, yeah. we, we found we the blurb and it is, it's like, I mean, it's not like the worst thing in the world, but it's definitely like, okay. okay if, if people want to dive into the past, like everything from football outsiders going all the way back from 2003 is still on the site somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. We found it. But anyway, yeah. So Aaron gave me my, my first sort of, uh, dip in the, the pool of real world sports. I don't know. Journalism, what I was doing, but you know, doing something anyway. So that, that's awesome. Talked to Stephanie Stradley this, this summer as well. OG fan house. So it's been a stroll down memory lane for me. But Aaron, I'll start with this because, uh, this will be pretty obvious. How does the FO and the Almanac feel about, uh, one arm Roethlisberger going into 2020 <laughs> season? Well, I mean, he played really well two years ago. He was really good in our numbers two years ago. So we, it's not like we could project him as a bad quarterback. He projects to be a little bit above average. We're assuming he's healthy. Uh, and when you put that together with the Steelers, the defense will come back to the pack a little bit because they actually led the league in turnovers per drive. Which there's heavy regression in that. But when you put it together with Pittsburgh having a top 10 defense and an easy schedule actually makes them a pretty good Super Bowl contender. I Ooh. wouldn't, I wouldn't say one of our top contenders because we have the top three teams so far ahead of everyone else that they're really only three teams that I would say these are the big Super Bowl contenders. And who's well, the third? Who's the well, third well, of those three wait, teams? Well, oh, you, you can probably guess which three teams they are. Actually, I'm well, we know it's Cincinnati, Chiefs, Washington, <laughs> and Carolina. <laughs> Chiefs, Ravens, but is the third team the Saints? Like who's yeah, the third team? The third oh, okay. team is the Saints. All right, gotcha. all right. So all three of those teams, and we should point out that you guys, you have a full projection sheet with playoff percentages, Super Bowl percentages, expected DVOA projections, and uh, everyone can get it. And if you're, if you're not familiar with DVOA at this point, um, I mean, like, go get them all in that because it, it's very helpful. It's context-added statistics, and that's the whole point of it. But you guys do average wins. So it's like basically how many wins do these teams have on projections? How often, and all three of those teams that you mentioned, Kansas City 10.6, New Orleans 10.5 and Baltimore 10. How often does a 10, uh, a projected 10 win team miss the playoffs? Ah, uh, well, let's see here. For those teams, I have to look up the actual numbers, 
but for those teams, it's not very often. Uh, Kansas City makes the playoffs 81.5% of simulations. Oh, sorry, I, I kind of meant, I kind of meant like in the, in, like historically for football outsiders, how often do you see a team projected that highly? I don't know the answer to that. Unfortunately. I just meant sort of anecdotally. Like, like, is it not almost very often? Right. The, 20, okay. the 2019 not Steelers. The Mason Rudolph and Duck Hodges will take a 10 win team and make them win. <laughs> right. They certainly will. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think basically what it takes is major quarterback injuries. Right. Okay. And, and as you mentioned, the Steelers are nine there. That may, that may be why the Ravens are quote unquote only 10, right? I mean, our, yeah, they're, both of those teams have fairly early, uh, easy schedules. The Ravens are only 10 because our offense looks at how our, our offensive projection looks at how much their offense improved last year and says, okay, hold on a second. You know, teams tend to come back a little bit to their previous performance. You know, they're probably not going to be as good as they were on offense last year. And so it brings that back a little bit in a way that it doesn't with Kansas City and New Orleans. So that's why Kansas City, New Orleans are one, two, and then Baltimore is back a little bit third, and then everybody else is way behind them. Well, if we're talking about Baltimore and Super Bowl contenders from the AFC North, we obviously have to talk about the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, so let me ask you this, Aaron. How do you guys handle projections for a team like the Bengals where you're going to have a, a, a rookie quarterback starting who had zero practice during the offseason? Because that's the one guy you'd want to see in maybe OTAs and kind of see how they're adjusting to the system. So how do you guys handle projections in a scenario like that? And, you know, how do you feel about the Bengals? Well, the first thing is there's nothing different in the projections to account for COVID other than the removal of all the opt-out players, which uh, we've done in a, we actually have done a new simulation since the book came out uh, to take out the opt-out players and kind of lower the, the odds for the Patriots and, um, but we assume that things are going to be even more clustered around eight and eight and more random than usual because we don't know when players are going to suddenly get sick and go out for two or three weeks. Uh, that being said, so we're not accounting for like the lack of OTAs with a rookie quarterback, but you know, we project rookie quarterbacks based on like our projection system called QBase, uh, and what the offense has done in the past. And Cincinnati gets credit for getting A.J. Green back, so their offensive projection goes up a little bit. Uh, but their defense is pretty poor. Even though our defensive projections uh, – defense is a lot harder to project than offense, so the defensive projections cluster around average much closer than the offensive ones do. You know, Cincinnati's defense is pretty bad. So it all works out to and have to being generous, near, yes. near the bottom of the league. <laughs> but it's all about probabilities. Like, we still have – uh, 23% of simulations where Cincinnati makes the playoffs. Like every team has a chance to make the playoffs. Every team has a chance to miss the playoffs. Uh, there are no sure things in the NFL. Aaron, let me ask you quickly before Brenton asks the question, because Brenton for a while up to the last two weeks or so was sort of on the Jets bandwagon, but he also says he would not be surprised if Cincinnati makes the playoffs. Better chance to make the playoffs, the Bengals or the Jets? I think we still have the Jets slightly ahead. Okay. But Jets the are Jets, at 35.9 and the Bengals are at 23.3. But wow. the Jets dropped down from like 35.9 to like 26. Smart. Smart. In the new simulation <laughs> because the new simulation, they lose their two best defensive players. They lose Jamal Adams and they lose CJ Mosley. So in other words, Ryan, it sounds like my brain is operating like a computer. 
Yeah, I was going to think the TI-35, as you pointed yeah. out. Um, I, Is that I, the one I, that played PC Munchkin? Because that was... Yeah, that's my brain. Brinson just punches in 8,008. I'm tired of these AFC <laughs> North... I got that, Boobs. I'm tired of these, I'm tired of these AFC North homers using this podcast platform as a way just to like, like, oh, like, let's, you know, I'm curious about the, no, 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 you're just asking about your team. You just want to know if your team is going to be good. We need information here. And the information that I found startling, uh, Aaron is in the, in the North, but in the NFC North, where, and, and, and correct me if I'm wrong in the updated, uh, projections, but I do believe that you have the Detroit Football Lions with the highest projected win total. The, the, are the Lions going to win? As I said, I actually said this on radio the other day, and, and the host mocked me. I said the Lions are sneaky to win this division. I think I, I like this concept of of Detroit uh, being the best team. Of the, is that more about the other team stinking or Detroit taking a step forward? Well, best team in the division comes with a little bit of an asterisk because those four teams are so close together in our projections. Yeah. We have – Every team in that division falls between 23 and 27% in their chances to win the mm. division. So it's very, very close. Uh, but mostly it's not just Detroit getting better. And remember, Detroit was 3-4-1 and one before Matthew Stafford got hurt. They went 0-8 with their second and third string quarterback. But also Green Bay and Minnesota falling backwards, which we're predicting. Green Bay... Uh, is a team that I'm sure anybody who reads, anybody who does analytics on Twitter knows was not a 13 and three quality team in the underlying stats last year. They were much more like a 10 and six team. And then they went out this offseason and didn't really fill holes. I mean, their top three draft picks are players that we don't think are going to help them much this year, starting with a developmental quarterback. And then Minnesota kind of hit a salary cap wall. Like, we think they're a well-managed franchise, and we think that all of the draft picks that they took this year, like, using this year to draft as much talent as possible was really positive. So we're really positive on Minnesota in the long run. But in the short term, you're talking about a team that lost. Stephon Diggs, their best receiver. Everson Griffin, one of their top two pass rushers. Most of their cornerbacks, even though one of them, uh, Xavier Rhodes, was horrible last year. So we think Minnesota is going to take a bit of a step back also. And then Chicago is Chicago, like Chicago always is. There's going to be a good defense and questions of quarterback. So the whole division end up floating around eight and eight, and the Lions come out very, very slightly with the best projection. That is – I'm not a huge Matt Patricia fan. I think that's pretty well known in this podcast. Well, that's something we can't account for in a mathematical <laughs> projection system, and it's that's sort of the subjective – uh, yes, but that we're all putting on this, on this projection. But I, I will say this, if they can't get to at least seven and nine this year, he's got to go because the yeah. talent is there and, and the way that division should work out, they should go at least seven and nine this year. Wilson uh, will personally deliver the pink slip. Uh, me and Jim Caldwell, 97 back. back yeah, do you know if Jim Caldwell showed up in like, like a, like a, like a, like a, pair of sweatpants and like hadn't shaved in like in three weeks. You know, cause remember Patricia called out the reporter for being sloppy. That's what turned Ryan off on Patricia was the, him being like, yeah. why don't you, why don't you sit up straight in your chair? It's like, bro, you are not somebody who should be commenting on the appearance yeah, yeah. of other human beings at the workplace. You, you are, are a, a, 
prime candidate for uh, Queer Eye Makeover. Let's calm down with the, the casting dispersions. Uh, so you actually touched on Aaron Rodgers of the Packers. I was going to ask you about that, but I'll ask you about this instead, Aaron, because uh, Debo, our producer, is a huge Eagles fan, and Brinson hates the Eagles. How do you feel about the Eagles-Cowboys rivalry? I'm assuming those are the two best teams in that division, and, and who do you like better? Yeah, I mean, they're definitely, unless Dwayne Haskins or Daniel Jones takes a major step forward in year two, which again, we're talking probabilities here. There's, there's a chance of that. That's a two team race. We do have Dallas ahead and that's without taking the Everson Griffin signing into account, which I love. Uh, it totally fills a really important hole for them. Uh, but we do have Dallas ahead mainly because of the offense defense discrepancy that I was talking about mm-hmm. where offense is easier to predict. And therefore teams that predict to have better offenses will tend to have better averages in our simulations than teams that project to have better defenses because the best offenses project to be better than the best defenses are. And hey, Dallas ask, is a team that projects this? to be better on offense and Philadelphia on defense. So how do you account for Mike McCarthy? And my concern with Mike McCarthy, I think he's probably going to be good for Dak, but my lasting image of him, and I said this on the podcast last week, is that Seattle playoff game where fourth and one, fourth and one of the goal line and they're just kicking field goals left and right. Yeah, which is interesting because historically, in the regular season, Mike McCarthy is one of the most aggressive coaches in the league. Mm. He just suddenly loses his aggressiveness in the in the postseason. I don't. What what phrase yeah, were you going to use there? <laughs> uh, I will say, Puckers up, poops his pants. Yeah, I was trying to think of something nice and clean. <laughs> <laughs> um. The uh the projection, you can't account for specific coaches because most coaches don't have a history where they coached multiple teams to the point where you can say that this was the coach and not the team. Like, it's rare to have a coach who has enough of a sample size that you can say, you know, Wade Phillips improves the defense everywhere he goes. Like, Wade Phillips is the rare coach who has that sample size. So you can't account for McCarthy by saying, like, Green Bay was really good or Green Bay – right. You know, I mean, you, you have to think about, he tended to be conservative with leads, but aggressive on fourth downs, except like I said, in the postseason. Um, but we do have where teams have a new offense that tend to take a little bit of a step back, but Dallas doesn't really have a new offense because Kellen Moore stayed. Yeah. So the offensive coordinator is the same. It's not like a new head coach is bringing a new scheme with him. Um, a team that. Actually, no, Bridge, you could, do you have a question? Oh, sorry. I, uh, I mean, yeah, you guys are just spending all this time in the NFC. Let, let me ask you a question about the AFC West, Aaron. Obviously, that is the most wide open division in football. Just kidding. The Chiefs are going to roll through everyone. <laughs> do you think any of those other three teams could possibly compete with Kansas City? Who would you give the best shot to? Oh, they're really close. We have those teams, uh, like better than the worst. They're not the worst teams in the league. Certainly they're a little bit below average, but um, I guess weird as this is to say the projection system likes Vegas, the best of those three, mm. uh, because it looks at Derek Carr actually had quite an efficient season last year. Although the efficiency was really stuffed into the first half of the season, like the second half of the season, Derek Carr was back to being Derek Carr, like you're used to. <laughs> but because he was so efficient in the first half of the season, it sees that if you compare that to say what Tyrod Taylor did the last time we saw him in Cleveland or a rookie quarterback, which are the two alternatives for the Chargers, 
um, or a second year guy who was not a first rounder who only has five years, five games of experience, which is what you have with Drew Law, that it likes Vegas a little bit better than it likes the Chargers and the Broncos. I think people are with the Broncos, like that's a good defense, but I think people are reading way too much into what happened with five games with Drew Law. Yes. Especially because the wins and losses, like he won a game against Houston where Houston just played like horrible and just completely face planted. And, you know, it's not like Drew Locke is responsible for Deshaun Watson going out there and having a bad game. Awful. Uh, And he's depending on so much like with rookie receivers who, again, this is not in our projection system, but right. This is the year the rookie receivers had no OTAs, had no preseason games are going to have to pick up like, can Judy and Hamler, how fast can they pick up the offense? I think people are expecting a big explosion out of the Denver offense that is unlikely to come. Uh, you have Denver at seven wins projected in the original uh, run. I'm just curious, do you have the number in front of you? Because they had Juwan James uh, opt out. They yeah, I think they're still at seven. Okay, I, 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 I was still- just curious how much like a tackle might have impacted um, like obviously anything was going well, they didn't have him. One of the things is they didn't really have him last year, right? He was injured for most yeah. of last year. So sure. the guy who's going to replace him is probably the guy who already replaced him last year. The, the really big opt outs are the defensive players who have a really heavy importance. Hightower, um, Mosley. Uh, I mean, those are really the big two. And then of course the Jamal Adams trade, which isn't an opt out, but also happened since we finished the book. Well, interestingly though, your projections, which are, have been proven over a decade now to be biased for the New England Patriots still gives them eight and a half. I'm kidding. That is, that is what you're accused of as a Patriots, uh, a longtime Patriots fan. Um, and obviously they're projections. They're not biased. Like that's not projections aren't, that's not how, you know, it works, but, uh, eight and a half wins for the Patriots just under uh, Tom Brady there in Tampa. How, how do you look at, how did those two teams come out? Because I feel like I get asked that once a day on, on a radio hit. It's like, well, who, who wins more games? The Patriots or the Buccaneers? I will point out that our projections are naturally very conservative. So like 8.5 doesn't sound like much, but it is still the highest in the division. Right. Most teams we have between six and nine. Um, the biggest thing is the defense, not the offense. I'm, I'm going out on a limb with this compared to other people, but I believe that the Patriots defense is going to be much, much worse this season. There's two reasons for that. The first is they were so heavily dependent on turnovers last year. And again, that regresses to the mean very heavily. The second is when you look at approximate value over replacement, they lost more defensive talent uh, in net because they didn't add anybody uh, other than rookies, but they didn't add any veterans. They lost more veteran defensive talent than any team we'd looked at since 2003. And that's before Hightower and Chung opted out. And then Hightower is the biggest defender that they lost. And that's since, you know, that's since we did the book. So that Patriots defense, I think, is, I mean, yes, secondary is mostly stable other than losing. They lost two safeties. They lost Harmon to Detroit, and then Chung opted out. And there are some theories in the analytical world that secondary is more important, certainly, than like pass rush. But secondary performance also tends to be very inconsistent from year to year. And the Patriots defense was only average two years ago until the Super Bowl, and they shut down the Rams. 
And I think the Patriots defense is going to go back to being average. And I think that's going to really surprise people. So it's funny you say that because uh, every week I ask Princeton for the, the win totals for the, the Patriots, and every week it's nine and a half, and I ask for the Bills, and every week it's nine. Uh, I would imagine that you like the Bills better based on personnel and, and history, recent history, or are you uh, cautious about their, their chances to win the division finally? I'm cautious. We have them a little behind the Patriots, even uh-huh. though we have them with the number one defensive projection in the, re- in the league. Hmm. Because their offense, we just don't see as good because we just don't like the quarterback. And there's a big variable in the offensive projection system that projects the quarterback, tries to project him separate from the team. And we just, Josh Allen, when you look at what he did as a rookie and then, you know, what was expected of him coming into the league, it, 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 and then last year he was still slightly below in run, in, in passing slightly below what we think of as replacement level. We just don't like the quarterback situation there. We actually write in the book, if we play an all-time quarterback like we were kids, the Bills might be the best team in the league. <laughs> That's mean. Uh, but it doesn't work that way. Aaron, let me ask you this, because we talked about this on a podcast last week. Um, with the 2020 Buffalo Bills, would you rather have Josh Allen, Jimmy Garoppolo, or, or Jared Goff? I think I would say Jimmy Garoppolo. Interesting. I think that's what Brenton said. Me and Breach went with but golf, it's, golf it's tough because you've got two guys who are heavily dependent on their play callers and scheme. Right. And then a guy who's just not been, just not been good. And based on his college, you know, performance, you don't expect him to be that good. Although he does bring the running ability that those other two guys don't bring and don't discount that. He has a lot of value as a runner. Last year we had him second in the league in quarterback value as a runner behind just Lamar Jackson. Yeah, he has – I mean, he's a great runner, and he doesn't have a 300-yard passing game, which is pretty wild to be two years into your career as a first-round pick who started from day one and not have 300 yards passing in a single NFL game. They certainly have done everything to put a good team around him. Between the offensive line, let's sign as many mediocre guys as possible and see who works well together, which ended up working out. And then Brown and Beasley and now Diggs, like they've certainly put some talent there around him. He's got, he's got a good structure around him. So, you know, again, it's doing analytics is all about probabilities. Nothing is certain. There certainly is a chance that Josh Allen will improve and become, let's say an average NFL quarterback, which would prove all of us wrong from what we said about him coming into the league and combined with the defense that we're expecting from the Bills. Uh, would make them absolutely the division champions. And the Bills defense was much less dependent on turnovers last year than a lot of the other top defenses like the Patriots and 49ers and Steelers, which makes them a better bet to continue their playing well on defense this year than those other teams. A reminder, you can get all of these uh, brilliant analytic axioms in the Football Outsiders Almanac, make sure and purchase it. I would also note, before we go to break really quickly, that – if you go to footballoutsiders.com, you can buy a package combo deal. I think it's on sale if you combo them. The Kubiak proje- fantasy projections, they win leagues for you. You will win leagues if you, I mean, I'm not saying not good to CBS, but combine it with CBS because then you have your draft room on CBS where you're doing your fantasy league. Maybe you listen to Jamie Eisenberg every now and then. I don't know, or Dave Richard or Heath Cummings, but you take the, the stats from Kubiak. I promise you will find somebody who is a breakout. Like you're looking at, it, you're like, how is this guy going to do this? And then he ends up doing it. Uh, all right. We'll take a quick break and we come back, uh, more football with Aaron Schatz. 
The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, so uh, we covered the Bills. And, and I am curious how much – I'll, I'll dovetail the Bills discussion and Josh Allen um, into a question about the AFC – or the NFC West, excuse me, because – Kyler Murray, I think, is a second-year quarterback that a lot of people are sort of pointing to. Who could you know, people are like, "Oh, could he be the next Lamar, the next Mahomes?" And it's asking a lot. But how much, how much um, upside with a quarterback like that, or a quarterback like Josh Allen, do you guys build? Like, do you, can you build in the probability that one of those guys just takes a huge leap forward and becomes an MVP level player, or is that too far outside of the? I mean, that probability is sort of always built in on the margin, just like the probability that the quarterback's going to get hurt and your backup's going to suck is always kind of built in on the margin. But the expectations for those guys based on what they did in college, I mean, the expectation for Murray is just so much higher than the expectation for Allen. Uh, We like Arizona this year. We have the entire NFC West in our million simulations averages better than eight wins. Wow. Wow. So the worst NFC West team – which is Arizona in this case, 8.1 average wins is better than the best NFC North team, Detroit, at 8.0 average wins. That is correct, yes. Do you think there's a chance all four AFC, NFC West teams make the playoffs? Oh, yeah, definitely. There's oh, definitely mm-hmm. a chance. I don't think it's likely. One of them will probably not make it, but I think it's pretty likely that three of them will make it. That's a really strong division. I know we have the Rams higher than most people. Again, that's some of that is – that because we do our projections top down, you know, we look a lot at what teams have done over the last, not just year, but two and three years. I mean, obviously two and three years ago is nowhere near as important as last year, but it does play some role in what you can expect for a team going forward. They still won nine games. It's not like they stunk. Not like Sean McVay has suddenly forgotten everything he always knew, right? Like the talent, and the coaching that got them to be the number two team in our ratings for two straight years is still there. A lot of the talent is still there, and the coaching is absolutely still there. So we've got the Rams as still an above-average team, despite the personnel losses that they've had over the last couple of years. Yeah, it surprises me that that the Rams feel like uh, that team that everybody thinks is overrated. I think Brinson is on the Rams overrated bandwagon, aren't you, Brinson? Yeah, but I'm, I'm mostly on the Cardinals or a playoff sleeper bandwagon and a sleeper to win the division. Well, and you, you mentioned the Packers and 13 wins and how there's no way they're going to match that. The 49ers, obviously another 13 win team last season. I'm assuming you guys are predicting, uh, projecting a little bit of regression there for San Francisco. Yeah. Although it's different because green Bay was a 13 win team 
that underlying stats said was not a 13-win team. San Francisco was a 13-win team that the underlying stats said was a 13-win team. But again, like I said, we look at like the last three years because there is this thing called the plexiglass principle, which is the teams that take a dramatic improvement tend to fall back a little bit the following year. San Francisco is the first team in the history of our stats. This is, goes all the way back now to 1985 that went up 20% in DVOA on both sides of the ball. It wow. has never happened before that a team had improved that much on both sides of the ball. So we expect naturally there's going to be a little bit of comeback there, right? It's not like there isn't a lot of talent on that team, but you add to the fact that they've, they've lost some talent, right? No more Buckner, no more Emmanuel Sanders. They're depending on rookies to replace those guys. You can't be sure of what you're going to get from rookies. So we have San Francisco coming back to the pack a bit. It's not like we have them as a bad team. It's just we have them as part of a really good division where those teams are going to be really competitive with each other. Do you do you think teams know that internally at all? I mean, I don't know if you talk to anybody any teams like do you, I mean because you would never hear Kyle Shanahan get up in a press conference and be like, you know, we improved twenty percent on both sides of the ball last year. We we probably think it's going to be a little bit worse than it was last season when everything went perfectly. Like you would never hear a coach say that. But do you think internally you're like, man, we got everything clicked for us last year. Maybe we should see a little bit of a step back on offense or defense. I mean, do you think that exists? There may be a couple of teams where the analytics department believes that, but I think even if you say it to coaches, that the coaches will find a way to talk themselves into the idea that it's not us. Right. Like we're an exception. And, and, and there are exceptions. It's just, it's hard to find out who the exceptions are before the fact, right? right. Like afterwards we find out like what the exceptions were, but like, let's take San Francisco, for example. Um, the, the, the secondary played so well last year. Like I said, secondary play is pretty inconsistent from year to year. The defensive line, right? Other than Nick Bosa, those players on the defensive line were all there the year before. And that defense was terrible. Yeah. Like, yeah, the offense was much better because they had a healthy Garoppolo. But on defense, I don't think Nick Bosa on his own takes a team from being one of the worst defenses in the league to being the number two defense in the league. Yeah. It probably would have been number one in a usual year when the Patriots didn't do what the Patriots did last year. I mean, Nick Bosa is a good player, but no defensive player is that good. So you're going to see some, some retrenchment there. So what about um, Philip Rivers, who last year was, <laughs> any way you look at him, a lot of dog doo-doo in his game. Now you could blame that on the on the lack of uh, offensive line and get all that, but he made a lot of terrible decisions. Have more touchdown passes than Big Ben. Hmm? Oh, <laughs> and probably Andy Dalton too. I feel like uh, I feel like though the Colts is a perfect scenario, not only for Indy's offense, offensive line, playing indoors, but also for Philip Rivers, who has the weapons around him. He had those weapons in, in Los Angeles, obviously, but not the protection. How does uh, how does Aaron feel about it, and how does FO feel about um, Philip Rivers and in, in Indy? Yeah, I mean, we'll see about the weapons around him. They're going to depend pretty heavily on a rookie receiver, Michael Pittman Jr. And Paris Campbell, our system didn't really like him coming out of Ohio State because little slot, like slot receivers like that don't translate to the NFL when they're high picks quite as well. But, um, but I, I, Philip Rivers was still above average last year by our numbers, like not to what he'd been in past years, but still by our numbers, he was a little bit above average. And it's tough to model aging quarterbacks at this point because Breeze and Brady have just knocked any attempt to, to model aging quarterbacks out of the water. Like you just, 
you can't model them declining. And so we see Rivers is probably good again. And when you put the talent around him that Indy has, and by our numbers, the worst projected schedule in the league, mm-hmm. the, the, the easiest projected schedule of the league, uh, we like the Colts as one of the better teams in the league this year. Uh, let me, I'll follow up quickly. How concerned are you about Bill O'Brien? Uh, the whole Houston chapter is mostly about the concern about Bill O'Brien, like, okay. and why he got control of the whole franchise is weird. And I hate saying that. I hate saying that because he's my boy. There are not a lot of us Brown alumni in the NFL these days. Uh, and so I want Bill O'Brien to do really well for my school. But, um, yeah, you're, your fellow coaching alumni from uh, William and Mary are much better at right now than my fellow coaching alumni from Brown. And let's not forget the coaching alumni from Miami of Ohio. What? What? Yeah, Miami of Ohio, just like Brown and William and Mary. John Harbaugh and Sean McVay, more that's Super Bowl pretty, wins. That's pretty good. That's better than Bill O'Brien right now. <laughs> <laughs> dunked Oops. on. Oh yeah, sorry. We have a we like to play dunk on music, Aaron. Whenever somebody dunks on him, and that that qualifies as a dunk for for breach. So we'll give it to him. Oh, way to go, Kevin Breach. Harlan. Thank you. Um, I don't know what the hell we're going on here. Right, so hey, listen. Back in the day, Aaron was a DJ, so he probably knows about all hitting the buttons. I know about hitting the brake, and I know about <laughs> dropping in some sound effects. Yeah, I was the sound effect guy. I did all those bits that go between songs. I created all those bits that go between songs that like tell you what station you're listening to. All right, so really look at these projections. I mean, you pointed out that Kansas City, New Orleans, and Baltimore are that far ahead of everybody, and then Pittsburgh, Indy, Tampa Bay, Dallas, right below them. I mean, it's pretty remarkable. I like it's kind of stunning just how far ahead they really are. I mean, there's – so the Kansas City, 81.5% chance to make the playoffs. New Orleans, 80. Baltimore, 73.7. And then the next highest is 58.6. All three of those teams also have uh, 16.4 higher projected DVOA. And then Pittsburgh's at seven below them is if you were a gambling man, would you then be inclined to only bet on one of those three teams to win the Super Bowl or would you want to get something with a little longer odds? Well, I think there are still some longer odds bets that are probably good. I don't have the odds in front of me, but I would bet that Indianapolis and Pittsburgh might be good bets. Yeah, both in the 30, 20 to 30 range probably, yeah. Here's the thing, right? Counter to what our projections say is the idea that COVID is going to oh, yeah. mess with the best teams being the best and the worst teams being the worst. And that's not incorporated into our projections because we do stat projections and stat projections are based on the past. And there is no past season in COVID for us to use as an example. But I think we all assume that because random players are going to disappear in the middle of the year, that there's going to be a little bit more randomness. And that would suggest going away from favorites in Super Bowl odds or season totals. Mm, but again, or even- the, the, the fact that we have those three teams so far ahead sort of suggests going with them. Sure. I mean, yeah. And that's a great point of the COVID. And that also, I think might even, you know, like you see, you have Detroit where you have them with eight wins as the top team in that division. Their, their odds are the longest. Uh, Arizona as well has the longest odds to win that division. Maybe given that random occurrence, if you, I'm saying this for the listeners, if you want to buy in on it, but like if you see Arizona at 8.1 in a season where there could be utter chaos, like Jimmy Garoppolo, Jared Goff and, um, and Russell Wilson could all get COVID and be forced to miss two or three weeks 
Kyler Murray doesn't, and suddenly the Cardinals win the division. Like maybe there's a maybe there's an opportunity there to take some longer shots in divisions. Yeah, I'm sure when this. I mean, I'm not sure because you can't be sure of anything this year. No. But my guess is that when this year is over, that we're going to look at some of the teams that go to the playoffs and go, you know, if it wasn't for COVID hurting this other team, that probably wouldn't have happened. I also happen to be of the belief that we may end up having to play a season where not every team plays 16 games. I would agree with that. Which is great news for the Bengals. The Bengals could go four and, four and seven and call it a victory. The Bengals are going to pull a Marlins. They're going to play half the games of everyone else, but go like four and one and win the division by default. Hey, oh, by the way, speaking of that, that, that to follow up on the, the NFC West too, Seattle, very lucky in one score games, considered the number two luck box team in the, in the NFL behind Green Bay. Yet you still got them at 8.7 wins. Is that just simply Russell Wilson cannot be taken down? That's a lot of it is Russell Wilson is just really good. And that quarterback variable is a big part of our offensive projection. Uh, but they were better in our numbers last year than they were in a lot of advanced stats because mm. of our opponent adjustments. And they played the second hardest schedule in the league last year. Okay. So whereas Green Bay had the second worst DVOA of any team that ever went 13 and three. Seattle was nowhere near the worst 11 and five team we had ever tracked. So I think part of the idea is that Seattle was lucky last year, but also in some ways not unlucky, but just had a hard road and that they're probably going to be a little better this year. And then a little better than that. Now that you add Jamal Adams. And so that's what puts Seattle so high in our projections. John, do you want to ask about the Bengals again? Uh, I already, I already like. Aaron's and I like FO's football projection for the Bengals. 23% chance of making the postseason. I'm going to tell every Bengals fan I know to buy the Almanac this year. You might as well, you might, yeah, you might as well be freaking, uh, Lloyd Christmas here. You think you're saying there's a chance? chance? Uh, you know who surprised me on this, on this projection list? Jacksonville at 7-1. That's, that's a lot higher than I think. I mean, I think when people mention the worst teams in football, it's Carolina, Washington, and, and then Jacksonville. And yet, you know, you, I mean, not that they're, not that you have them as you know, winning the Super Bowl or anything, but you, know, you have them as a 30% chance of making the playoffs and above a group of teams like Denver, New York, and Cincinnati. Yeah. We're, we, we have them as a run of the mill bad team, not as the worst team in the league. Gardner <laughs> Minshew, they, they were like 26th or something on offense last year, or is that what I'm projecting? They, they, they weren't the worst offense in the league last year. So I don't know why everyone expects they're suddenly going to be the worst offense in the league this year. Fair. Um, what about um, what about Baker and the Browns? Because yeah. every every year, the last few years, I've fallen for it. And Stefanski certainly is an upgrade over Freddie Kitchens. I don't think anyone disputes that. But is that going to be enough to overcome the ownership, which seems to be the biggest obstacle? Here's what I say about the Browns: the numbers don't buy in. Hmm. Okay. But of all the teams that we have in the bottom half of the league. Right. Not, not the 7.9, 7.8 teams, but all the teams that are at like 7.5 and below. Cleveland is the one where you can construct a narrative that makes the most sense as to why they would be a playoff team with things that our projection system is not necessarily catching. Like that Freddie Kitchens was horrible last year and that they're going to get a big upgrade in coaching or, uh, that the left tackle was so bad last year that that's naturally going to be a big upgrade. Um, I think that 
you know, chemistry coming together for that team when it was such a problem last year. These are things that our projection system doesn't account for, but you can tell a good narrative. Like, like, let's be honest. Like if, if Cincinnati makes the playoffs, I mean, the only narrative that makes sense is Joe Burrow has an amazing rookie season, but for the most part, it's hard to see it happening. But with Cleveland, like the narrative of, I mean, they've got Odell Beckham, they've got Jarvis Landry, they've got Nick Chubb, the offensive line's much better. Baker plays more like he played as a rookie. The defense has talented guys. Uh, Greedy Ward, uh, Greedy Williams takes a big step forward. Denzel Ward still plays well. Like you can build that narrative pretty easily. So if you said to me of all the teams that you have at 7.5 and below, who's the most likely you think to make the playoffs, I would say Cleveland. I get behind that. Do the, all right. So the, in the NFC South, we mentioned. New Orleans at 10-5. We talked about Tampa Bay a little bit. Atlanta and Carolina are very perplexing teams to me because Atlanta, like, are they the first half team? Are they the second half team? Is it simply just Raheem Morris coaching defense and not Dan Quinn? And then with Carolina, like, I mean, I sort of talked myself into them being good on offense this year, and I'm not sure why. Their defense is going to suck. Awful. <laughs> Worst defense in football, I think. They're the worst projected defense in football. They have like the hardest projected starters. schedule. Yeah. They have the hardest projected schedule. Mm. So, I mean, yeah, I like Teddy Bridgewater, and their offense will be better than it was last year, but their defense is going to suck. Atlanta, every year they improve on defense in the second half of the year, and every year we try to talk ourselves into the idea that they're going to be better <laughs> on defense next year, and every year they come out in the first half of the year and are awful on defense. We actually have them projected 15th on defense, and I think that's probably too high. I think they're going to be back in the 20s again like they are every year. So the offense will be good but not great like it is almost every year except for 2016, and the defense is going to be in the 20s like it is pretty much every year, and they're going to be right on the verge of making the playoffs, maybe the team in that seventh spot like they are every year. And you just said that with the Falcons, you project their defense to be 15th overall, but they'll probably end up in the 20s. Was there any team, any team in the NFL where you saw their total win projection and in your head you thought, oh, that seems a little bit high. Uh, so maybe the analytics like the team better than you thought it would. I mean, given the way everybody talks about the Rams, I felt a little uncomfortable coming out with them as, as kind of being even with the 49ers. You have them. Uh, you have them almost dead, dead even. Yeah, the 49ers end up having a little bit better chance to win the Super Bowl because they're a slightly, they come out as a slightly better team on average with a harder schedule. But, uh, so it's like if they make the playoffs, they're more likely to move on. But, um, yeah, that was the one that I was like, Oh my God, do I have to go with this? Everybody's, everybody wants to hate on the Rams and I get it. Like golf took a step back and McVay's, you know, it, the offensive line wasn't very good, and it seemed like people were sort of figuring out McVay. But, like, he's a smart dude. Surely he's going to change something. It is hard to objectively measure offensive line changes with numbers. And the question is, like, are we not accounting enough for the way that offensive line has fallen apart in the last two years? Sure. So. Um, I want to ask you quickly. We'll get out of here in a second. But I'm curious because I know that at the, at the top of the book, you guys have charts throughout the course. But, like, from a league-wide uh, league-wide scope, are there any trends that you've noticed in terms of how teams approach personnel, both offensively and defensively? I think I saw the numbers were like 58% 11 personnel and yeah. 57% nickel at this point. Which, and it's funny, too, because it's like nickel and base. It's like, actually, nickel, nickel is, is base. base. Right, 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 right. 
Yeah, it started to go backwards a little bit last year. Last year okay. it took a little bit of a step back, the move towards 11, the move towards shotgun, the move, move towards more nickel. Um, so it, it remains to be seen whether that's a one-year blip or and it goes back up again or whether that's – it's we're starting to see. See, I think, Aaron, I think we could see teams in this offseason – like teams – I think Belichick wants to go – Heavy 12. I think the Eagles are going to go top yeah, he 12. he doesn't have the personnel for it. Yeah, he d- yeah, I know. But I'm just saying, like, I think they want to be these power run teams. I think some of these teams want to be simple power run teams, knowing that off- the offseason is going to be a little bit shorter. Is that is that a but viable if, if theory? If they're smart, what they don't want to be is a power run team. If they're smart, what they want to be is a team that fools you into thinking you're a power run team. Okay, here's one of the things that we've seen. Passing is more efficient from 21 personnel. And running is more efficient from 11 personnel. So contradictory to what the conventional wisdom would be. Right. If you look like you're going to run, it's easier to pass. And if you look like you're going to pass, it's easier to run. And the trick is to confuse the opponent and have them not know what you're going to do. And that's, you know, that's what the best teams are doing. That's one of the things that's so great about San Francisco is they can move use check around so many places and then turn a running you you turn a running formation into a passing formation if the other team comes out in base and then if the other team comes out in nickel you turn the passing formation into a running formation uh the other interesting thing we've seen is uh, a rise in dime so while while like it's not just nickel now we're seeing more with like the six defensive backs and a lot of third safeties a lot of teams playing an extra safety um and a lot of these like Derwin James, Isaiah Simmons type players who are kind of safety linebacker hybrids to cover tight ends. You know, sometimes those players are marked safety like Patrick Chung. Sometimes those players are marked linebacker like Isaiah Simmons, but they're basically playing similar roles. Interesting. All right. Um, Ryan, John, you guys got anything else you want to ask here about? Pickers Brave. If you want to, if you want to ask about the freaking Steelers again, you better do it now. No, I, I'm good. I got everything I need, I think. Ben, Ben is trash and Rivers is better. That's, I think that was the, the, the primary takeaway. Well, right, we'll have that argument when it comes time for the Hall of Fame. I think Ben is in and Rivers is going to be a question mark. But if, it, if I had my choice, Rivers, Rivers is a Hall of Fame quarterback. Is, I, it, is, I, is Andy Dalton a Hall of Fame quarterback? No. <laughs> Eli Manning? If I had the choice, no. But will he get in? Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's Andy Dalton might get into the Cincinnati Hall of Fame. Eli is Manning it? is Jim Plunkett. <laughs> if Eli Manning goes in, Jim Pluckett should go in. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, okay, so as we mentioned, you need to have the Football Outsiders Almanac. If you don't, if you have never purchased one before, go get it right now. You can see it on youtube.com slash pick six, by the way. Uh, Aaron is holding it up. It is a robust manual. You can also get it in a PDF form and then you can save it to like your iPad or whatever. You can save it in books, iBooks or, um, I, I don't know. I forgot how to save it on my phone somehow, but you can, so you can, you know, maybe you're done with your beach trip, but you, Ryan's got a couple of vacations coming up. Um, goes to leaves on the first week of football every year. Probably do it again this year, despite writing about football for a living. Maybe he'll take the almanac and uh, come through it on the way there. Maybe he'll I read will. it on the PDF. Go to footballoutsiders.com and you can buy it there. You also get it. Where, where, where do you prefer people to buy it? Because I know that like sometimes Amazon and direct is, is different. We want to line your pockets. If we want to line our pockets, you want to buy 
from the electronic version that you buy on footballoutsiders.com. Okay. But if you want a really big book, you can physically read and actually kill all the mosquitoes in your house with because it's gigantic. <laughs> you can kill, you can kill a warthog with that book. You, you, uh, 50 feral hogs versus my book. <laughs> uh, you go to amazon.com. Either way that you buy the book this year. Uh, we are giving 10% of the proceeds from this year's book to the United Way's a COVID recovery and relief fund. Awesome. awesome. So any way you buy Football Outsiders Almanac this year, you're also making a charitable donation. And then the other thing, again, like Will was talking about earlier, FO Plus, that's our premium product, where you get not just the Football Outsiders Almanac, but an archive of all Football Outsiders Almanacs going back to 2009, and the Kubiak Fantasy Football Projections, an app that you can uh, fit to the rules of your league uh, so that it spits out projections based on your league's rules, and a big DVOA database of past years and picks against the spread during the season, and that's all part of FO+. And it's a very, very reasonable, what is it, like 60 bucks for the year or something like that? A little more now. Okay, it's more. Oh, yeah, you bump it up. You know, you got uh, you got to kind of pay the uh, you know edge. You got to pay the people. That's right. That's right. Well, you got, you got a great staff that, that, that write for it. So it makes a lot of sense. Um, I was, I was glancing around. I was trying to find, I know somewhere up in my very much not clean office that I have multiple old football outsiders almanacs. I'm sort of tempted to dive into like an old one and just sort of see, you know, because you just sort of get nostalgic thinking about, you know, I used like, to do that with the old Bill James baseball abstract yeah. when I was younger. And you yeah. definitely, you can go back and read about like what we thought of teams in 2010 and 2011. And it's interesting. Not only when we were right, when we were wrong, but how analytics has changed and things that analytics have learned. Certainly, we wrote a lot more about running backs' personal abilities 12 years ago than we do now. Mm. Now it's much more about, like, the framework that they're in. Right. Well, it's a different game. I mean, you had, like, LaDainian Thomason and Sean Alexander ripping every, you know, ripping everything. Yeah, when I got started, we still had, was still in the era of the workhorse running back, you know. Yep. One of the things that I'm kind of famous for is the curse of 370. Yes. Oh, right? actually, you know what? That's a, I'm curious about Derrick Henry in that regard. Doesn't matter anymore. Nobody hits 370. <laughs> Nobody even playoffs? comes close. Henry, I don't think Henry, even when you add in the playoffs, really was high enough. Yeah. No one even gets close to it anymore. So that's how, that's how I knew to not draft Larry Johnson. In fantasy yeah. football, because Larry Johnson got like 442 carries. Nobody the- gets that many carries anymore, so it doesn't even matter anymore. Um, and, and in that regard, too, I would point out that a lot of times people forget that a rush is not the same wear and tear as a reception. Yep. Yeah. What we found is that receptions, more receptions are actually a, were a positive predictor for your future rushing performance. So it's not how many touches you get that represents where it's how many runs. So guys like McCaffrey get tons of touches, but McCaffrey doesn't even come close to, I don't even think he got 300 carries last year. Did he? Uh, no, no. I think, no. yeah, Derrick Henry's the only one that hit 300. Derrick Henry's at 386 with the playoffs. By the way. With the playoffs. So that's close. But when you add on the playoffs, he still, he doesn't go over the limit. Okay. All right. Uh, Aaron shots, follow him at F O is it F O underscore a shots, a S C H A T Z. My my uh, un, un, uneasy to spell last name <laughs> probably should change my Twitter handle at some point. Uh, but I, I like having my little check mark. So yeah, that's right. You don't want to lose that check mark. Uh, and uh, of course, go to Football Outsiders, buy the book, buy the almanac. Uh, Aaron, thanks so much for joining us. Always a pleasure to talk to you, pal. Thanks for having me on the podcast. 
From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply.